Hello and welcome to another James Bond podcast. On this podcast, we will be watching and lightheartedly reviewing the Bond films. We're going to discuss the good stuff, the bad stuff, the cool stuff, and the ridiculous stuff. I'm Corey, and I'm a James Bond fan. And I'm Danielle, and I'm aware that James Bond is a thing. Hello. <laughs> is that how it's going to be every time now? Apparently. Hello. Hello. Anya. Um. What did we do last week? An interview. Hi. Welcome to another James Bond podcast. We're going to talk about Moonraker, the mismatch that mishmash mismatch mishmash miss mish mishmash is that Russian mish Misha. Oh wait, that's octopusy. I'll put it over there. <laughs> I just like to like keep my hands occupied while I do stuff. Yeah, well, you can't take that out during recording. Mm, okay. So we should probably start over. Mm-hmm. All right. So today we're talking about Moonraker. Yes, Moonraker. I have thoughts and feelings about Moonraker. It's essentially two films. Like two separate movies? Yeah, or I think so, yeah. Two separate movies. I, I think, anyways. When does the second movie start? Um, usually around an underground lair on a hmm. python fight. Right. Yeah, I kind of see where you're going with that. Yeah. It's also basically a reboot of um, The Spy Who Loved Me. It was, a, like, it was a mixture of a lot of movies thrown together, I felt like. I find those two especially, though. Just because in the beginning of Spy Who Loved Me, there's a submarine that gets hijacked. Mm-hmm. That becomes an issue. Um, but isn't that the same as the spaceships that were being hijacked in... You Only Live Twice? Yeah. Yep. And I feel like we've been here. Yeah. And also Jaws reoccurring. And uh, instead of a Russian agent, we have a CIA agent. So. And we're back. We've gotten rid of the cat. Ish. Yeah, I, and this is my thoughts. It's really the same film. Yeah, it just felt repetitive. With like a hint of eugenics tossed on the end. Oof, that was awkward. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Wikipedia brings us our synopsis today. A drac industries moonraker, on loan to the United Kingdom, is hijacked in midair while in a shuttle carrier aircraft, which is destroyed, but no wreckage of the shuttle is found. M, head of MI6, in case you weren't following, assigns James Bond, Agent 007, to investigate. En route to England, Bond is attacked and pushed out of an airplane by the mercenary assassin Jaws, whom he previously met in The Spy Who Loved Me. He survives by stealing a parachute from the pilot, who's also a bad guy just in case you're worried about the pilot, while Jaws lands on a trapeze net within a circus tent. Thoughts? (laughs) What just happened? Yeah, really. I mean, the first part of it is pretty typical. They're looking for Bond because of this Moonraker that went missing and they want to figure out what's going on. What did you think of the Moonraker theft? I was wondering why Andy Kaufman was there. Yeah, it was kind of weird, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Is it supposed to look like him? Was that done on I, purpose? No, I'm sure it wasn't. No? Just the, the two pilot, the two shuttle thieves are just dressed like normal dudes in the 70s. It was kind of weird. Like, why they weren't they wearing the yellow uniforms? Well, because they're undercover. I guess. Maybe those hadn't been issued yet because the plan was still a little bit early. Maybe. They should have used them, actually. Should have reused those two guys in the film. 
like put them in a space shuttle later on or something. Yeah, instead Jaws is back. Yeah. Uh, when M gets the call, I find it interesting. He's always answering the red phone, which I'm assuming is the emergency phone. It's the bad phone. It calls yeah. right through to Commissioner Gordon. So I think I'm going to paint my phone red at work because I See feel like every phone call is some kind of dramatic something. So Yeah, that's a good idea. It will make me laugh. Do use primer, though, if you have a black phone. If it's white, you should be okay. No, it is black. Okay. We'll get you some primer. They start looking for Bond because they want him on this mission looking for the Moonraker. Bond is trying to enter the Mile High Club for probably the 27th time. Yeah, one can only assume. I think it would be a lot easier to do on a private jet than it would be a regular jet. I don't even know why you would want to do that on a regular flight. Like, there's no room. It's uncomfortable to just be sitting. Well, even if... I always think of bathrooms, but like... You can't do anything in those bathrooms. Well, not on the one plane I was on. I could barely fit. They're all like that. I could barely fit, and I'm slightly less than normal man size. Don't say that. It's true. I'm 5'7". Average man height is 5'9". You're fine. I don't care. I'm totally fine with it. I'm just saying... I, I barely fit in the bathroom, let alone another person. Yeah, I think back in the day, the seats were roomier. I'm assuming the bathrooms were a little bit bigger, but now they're just awful. Yeah, probably. So while Bond is busy um, making out... Getting a leg up on the situation? Or no, it was on his, he's on his final leg. That's he's on what his it final was. leg, right. yeah. Turns out, for whatever reason, the pilot and the lady friend he's with turn against him. Well, he's got that evil mustache with the twisty bit, so obviously he's evil. Yeah. Anybody with a twisty mustache is evil. Yeah. Not even in the world of Bond, just in general. The The plane is going down, and Bond gets a parachute off the pilot. Yeah, like... They, oh, yeah, the, the I pilot, was trying to remember. He gets thrown out of the plane. He gets and thrown like out of the plane. Dive he, bombs. He dive bombs after the pilot. And then lands face first in his bum. Essentially, yeah. And then wrestles the parachute away from him. Yeah, that was a pretty good scene, though. It was a cool scene. I guess what bothered me is the most difficult part of this whole scene for him was getting the parachute clipped on. Yeah, yeah. Like, he could dive bomb, he fought the guy, that was all fine, but when it comes time to actually put the little clip together, he's yeah. struggling with that. And I'm like, just suck in your stomach, Bond. You know how this works. I feel like they just need, they felt they needed a little bit of filler. Let's see, like, it's, I'm sure he just fought, he hasn't opened the parachute. There'd be no reason, I wouldn't think there'd be any reason. Oh, well, the reason why he can't get it is because he's wearing a parachute under his jacket already. <laughs> That's why. You see the stuntmen. Their jackets are sort of billowing up, but you can tell they're wearing parachutes under their, under their suits. But How do you open a parachute under a jacket? Well, you'd have to whip the jacket off really quick, but... That sounds complicated. In the case of an emergency, if they couldn't get him actually into the parachute, I'm Le sure they'd do that. Let's not go skydiving as um, with free fall. Mm -mm. I mean, we already filled in our life insurance thing saying we didn't <laughs> do that kind of activity, so let's just avoid it. You could do like races where you throw the parachute out of the plane first and then race to get it. You can do that. Mm. I'd have to have some weight on it, though, because it would probably not... Yeah, I don't know. It would go up. I would assume. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. And then Jaws is there. Like, where did Jaws come from? <laughs> where was he hiding on the plane? I have so many questions. I highly doubt that man would fit in a typical private plane's co-pilot seat. There's no way he'd fit. And there's no way he was in the bathroom. He was, like, hiding under a blanket somewhere. Why is there this big Jaws-shaped lump under the blanket <laughs> on the couch? I see his leg sticking out. Uh, so basically Jaws catches up with Bond, but then Bond opens his parachute. Yeah, Bond uh, sort of 
evades him, uh, despite sort of popping the chute, sort of sending Jaws flying. Now, remind me why Jaws didn't have a parachute. He did, but he pulled <laughs> his ripcord because he's so strong, he pulled his ripcord straight out without it opening the chute. What about his emergency pull cord? I don't know what happened there. Mm. I assume they had he them panicked back and in the day. Maybe. Didn't pull he it. panicked and then thought maybe flapping his arms like a bird. That was, that wasn't a great scene. No, it, it was wasn't. very. Um, it's the cartooning of Jaws. Yeah. Again, that's all it is. Yeah, I didn't especially enjoy. I mean, I know a lot of people think Jaws is a great character. I don't necessarily share that feeling. He's okay, but for two movies, I don't think he was that great. But that being said, I can appreciate who he is as a villain. However, making him a cartoon doesn't help his image. No, I think like he has like a lot of, I think he's like an icon in the series, but at, at, they just write him stupid. <laughs> you yeah. know, like he's all these really great moments where he is like a terrifying character, especially in Spy I Love Me. But then, you know, like the, they do the whole dropping the rock on his foot. Like they just make him into a cartoon. It's, it's just he, annoying. He definitely doesn't have the um, the feeling of horror movie. No. In this movie. No, not in this one. Apparently a bunch of kids wrote into the Bond franchise saying they wanted to bring Jaws back. So he was really popular, so they brought him back for this. Okay, but no one could bring back more than a slight mention of Bond's wife? Nobody cared. I care. <laughs> Just you. I can't be the only one. I don't know. No, Well, I don't know. What's the point? These are supposed to be standalone films, right? So. Well, they're not when there's recurring characters. Yeah. I'm not know. even, I'm not going to get into that argument. What did you feel about sort of the opening title sequence? Well, see, the opening title sequence starts with Jaws landing, like a silhouette of Jaws landing in that net, yeah. which is a horrible effect. And um, they should have just had Jaws land, like maybe pull the other chute or just plop him into the tent. We didn't need to see that detail. So... Right off the bat, the title sequence pissed me off because it was that's how they ended the intro and it was terrible. And then they started the title sequence with that, which is just not winning me over by starting there. I think Binder is just sort of run out of ideas. He's not exactly pushing. It was nothing. Nothing was happening. Yeah, he's not exactly pushing the the envelope at this point. It's naked gymnastics again. Yeah. And like weird flying naked women. But I don't think there's been an interesting one since Goldfinger. And Goldfinger was only interesting because it had the the gold woman doing the dancing and they put the projection of the film on her Live stomach. Live and Let Die was interesting. Yeah, I suppose Live and Let Die. And her, on, on Her Majesty's Secret Service was kind of okay as well. Yeah. Didn't really fit in with the rest, but it was a little different. But yeah, I suppose Live and Let Die was good too. Yeah. The opening theme song is kind of forgettable. Yeah, Shirley Bassey singing Moonraker. Frank Sinatra apparently was supposed to sing it, oh, but, yeah. but he turned it down at some point, and then they asked Shirley to come back. I think they should have used the song Moon River and just changed the words. Well, that's what we keep singing, so... Well, yeah. <laughs> I they... wasn't aware that that was incorrect until today. Yeah. So all in all, I think the theme song, the title sequence, was just kind of forgettable. Yeah, there's nothing, nothing new here. A weak song and nothing new visually. It's it's kind of setting the tone for the film, actually, because I, I get the impression that everybody's just sort of phoning it in on this one. Honestly, I didn't hate the movie, and I'll get into the reasons why. Like, I want to hate it. Yeah. There's a lot of it, a lot of what happens in the movie that I'm just like, I don't want to like it. I found it really entertaining, although the ending is kind of ludicrous. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm kind of the same way. Like, I I enjoy it. I enjoy elements of it. It's not one of my favorites. Like, 
I would categorize it as just being like, it's fine. Yeah. You know, it does have a lot of stand up moments that are pretty great, but it, it's just okay with me. I really liked Goodhead's character. Yes, but I don't like the portrayal. Elaborate for our listeners. All of her lines are just being spoken with this amount of energy and excitement all the time. See, I feel differently than you do. I thought she, her acting was fine. She was just calm instead of being the usual I'm yeah. doing air quotes here like hysterical woman. She was just professional, capable and just wouldn't freak out about anything. I don't need her to be manic. I uh, you know like I really don't. She can be calm, cool and collected, but like when the space shuttle is breaking up on re-entry, she's like Jane's the space shuttle's breaking up on re-entry. We're at too steep of an angle. Like she's reading her lines. Like, I I didn't I didn't feel that way about it. Know? I just felt that she and, was just calm under pressure. I'm not saying that he's he, not freaking out about it. I'm just gonna say I'm not sure he's any better. Uh, like I said, it's I really honestly think that most of the acting in the film was really just sort of phoned in, but it still is like an enjoyable film. Yeah, it's an enjoyable film to the point where it's like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> so it's kind of a it's a very complex sort of bit of film, I think, on this. I would prefer it to many of Moore's movies to rewatch. Oh, we're getting there. At the Drax Industries space plane manufacturing complex in California, Bond meets the owner of the company, Hugo Drax, and his henchman and his henchman Chang. Bond also meets Dr. Holly Goodhead, an astronaut, and survives an assassination attempt while inside a centrifuge chamber. Drax's personal pilot, Karin Dufour, sleeps with Bond and then helps Bond find blueprints for a glass vial made in Venice. Drax discovers her involvement and has her killed by his pet dogs. Can you really call like a meat-eating Doberman or a person meat-eating Doberman a pet dog? What would you call them? Like an attack dog or something? Well, I think there's hunting dogs, right? Yeah, I guess. It's very Game of Thrones. That's true, yeah. So the MI6 crew is where we're going to head first, though. Um, they're all looking a little older in this one. They are. Especially uh, Bernard Lee, uh, M. He, he really aged. Yeah, he's looking a little ragged, a little worse for wear. Mm-hmm. Money Penny, sort of typical interaction. She's not really in this one very much, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah, she just has very brief lines. And then shows up later, and she's also just a quick one, and that's about it, too. So Bond is told that he's going to head to California. Yeah. Which I think is probably a nice mission. I'd like to go to California. Maybe not right now, but... Be all right. Would you take a, a, a Q-dart, a Q-dart wrist gun with you to California? No. Wouldn't feel the need? I would take some money for wine. Okay. So the gadgets that he gets from Q are his um, his dart watch. Did he get anything else? Not at this point, no. He just gets some two different, he gets the cyanide capsule tips and then the exploding darts. What if he got in the centrifuge and shot the cyanide dart at the centrifuge have, control panel? I have things to say about the centrifuge and we're going to get there. Bond gets to California and gets picked up by but a humble helicopter pilot. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Like, being a helicopter pilot is an impressive profession. Mm -hmm. I can think of a lot of professions that I'd be like, I am but a humble call center employee. Not to say that their job isn't important, it's just not the most exciting thing. Just imagine if you meet Bond and you're like, I'm a fucking helicopter pilot. (laughs) You don't have to swear, but he yeah, could be like, still. oh, no, I'm a helicopter pilot. That's my profession. 
And especially back then, I don't think there would have been a ton of women flying helicopters. Well, apparently there is a ton because there was a sexy helicopter pilot in the last film as well. I think the villains in the Bond films um, just like to hire women helicopter pilots. I guess. Because Fuzzy Galore as well. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. But these two especially, though, like... Um, uh, what's her face from the last one and then Corinne in this one again sexy helicopter pilot lady the alien craft appears to have dropped its shields thank you female Chekhov female Sulu beam their captain aboard but captain are you sure but she's hurt she may need our help damn even if she's injured, as you say, I can't do an examination on a new species without proper research. Damn it, Jim. I'm a sexy doctor, not a sexy scientist. Female Sulu, you have your orders. Are you just writing the same film or what? Yeah. Make it different. Make them plane pilots. Mm. Change it up. So as they fly over Drax's compound, we see Drax's cheerleader camp. I didn't really understand what was happening. And then you're like, Did cheerleading you? camp astronaut trainees yeah so they're doing calisthenics yeah and that reminded me of the marvelous mrs Maisel. uh the scene where her dad oh yeah abe goes to do his calisthenics on the dock yeah they're in the hamptons or whatever and he's wearing his onesie <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that song was playing through my head so good we meet cavendish the the, oh, the, the butler was the named potato cavendish. the potato butler <laughs> oh, uh, like, no one else is gonna get that reference still I think well, that's a Maritimes thing. Yeah, go to PEI, people. If you go to Prince Edward Island, there is a company, or you don't have to go to Prince Edward Island if you buy um, French fries at the grocery store. Frozen ones are well, all made come, by Cavendish. They come from there, though, if you really want to get yeah, to the heart. Yeah, they all come from PEI. If you really want to get to the heart of Canada's potato industry, you need to go to PEI. Did you know that they would shut down the schools for a week so that the kids could, I don't know if they still do, but like up until recently? I would think not. So the kids could go work on potato farms when it was uh, potato picking season. It was up to like 10 years ago. Really? That's the last time I heard about that happening. Yeah. How old would you have to be? Is there like a minimum age? I think to work on a farm, the actual minimum age is lower than, because I think you have to be 15 to actually work anywhere right now. Yeah. So I think for farming, you can be 14. So on your I... podcast, maybe we can expose some like child labor law <laughs> maybe. Uh, issues in PEI. When I was a kid, I worked on a farm when I was in, I started in fourth grade. So I would have been nine. Wow. Yeah. I've been on a farm. We used to break into, we didn't break in, we used to sneak into the, uh, my hometown, actually my home neighborhood. There was an old farm on the other side of the neighborhood and we used to sneak in. It was hayloft and swing from the rope that was there, swing from one side of the hay bales to the other. It was fun. Yeah, we used to pick strawberries and beans and peas. You get paid 25 cents a pint. A basket, I guess. I don't know how much. It, I don't know how much it actually is, but yeah, we'd be paid twenty five cents for the pint of strawberries, and then I think it was like ten cents a pound for beans and peas. Jesus, this is the nineteen thirties. No, that would have been the early nineties. Jesus, not a lot of money. And what paid the best was picking tomatoes, actually, because it was like five. You had, you know, those big ice cream containers. Mm -hmm. um, you'd fill those and they were $5 a piece and it wouldn't take long to fill them. But it was very rare that they needed anyone to pick tomatoes. So That's crazy. Yeah. That's not a lot of money. No. We did that all summer. My mom was with us. Maybe that's why we were allowed. Oh, uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Sounds awful. <laughs> I actually, we had a lot of fun doing I'm sure you it. Did, and but then anytime, we had pocket money. Anytime so. I've ever like picked strawberries, the mosquitoes were awful. 
I don't really remember there being many mosquitoes. The worst part about the farm that I used to go to is that we had to sneak past the goat. This little goat that would always headbutt the shit out of you. I'm sorry your life was so difficult. Yeah. He was always really nice when we whenever he kicked us out. I don't know how we ever found that place, but... Anyway, Cavendish is the butler, which yeah. is a hilarious butler name. True. Bond enters the room and a man resembling Peter Dinklage is playing the piano. In person and in voice. Yeah. He sounds exactly like Peter Dinklage when he's trying to be classy or European or something. I don't know. I don't Suave. know. I don't know what his what his deal is, what his normal speaking voice is anymore. But yeah, he really sounds and looks like He sounds and looks like Peter Dinklage. So as they sit down, they sort of have their little chat about, you know, why Bond is there and he's investigating and he's sort of supposed to be apologizing for the British government. And Drax offers Bond a cucumber sandwich. Yeah. Bond turns him down. So? Like, we're vegetarians. I honestly think we would turn down a cucumber. I don't know. I would turn down a cucumber sandwich. I love a good cucumber sandwich. Really? Wow. Okay. They're usually served on white bread. Yeah. And I believe with cream cheese. Okay. So if you (laughs) are going to do a cucumber sandwich proper, I would think you'd do it on like toasted whole wheat with cream cheese and cucumber and a bit of pepper. Right. But he's thanking the British for their... um, their tradition of having tea. Yeah. And cucumber sandwiches are traditional with tea, I believe. Well, I hate tea, so I don't know this. That's not how tea works. What? I just hate it, period. If, if you have tea, you're not having tea. It's eating a meal. Yeah, but I still hate tea. You don't have to drink tea. Yeah, but... Did but... you ever watch... Uh, not Hairspray. The one with... Uh, no. What's it called? It's not coming It's, to me. judging by the look on your face, it's still no. No, no, the one... John Travolta? Yeah, yeah. What's that called? It's called... Hair, no, not Hairspray. No. What is it called? I think it's called Hairspray. No, it's Grease. Hairspray's another musical. Have you ever watched With Grease? With John Travolta when he plays the lady, right? Actually, he's in that too, yeah. That one was directed by... Um... Um, in Grease, she invites him to tea and he says, I don't drink tea. You're making the same joke. It's not... There's no tea necessarily involved. I'm so confused by this. You like British TV. You should know this. They don't really spend a lot of time on tea. Usually if you're, they're saying, are we having tea is you're having supper. But I think traditionally tea is like between lunch and supper. John Waters. Mm. That's who directed Hairspray. Anyway, we can cut all of this out. Anyways, no, uh, I would have coffee. I would just make his life difficult. Be like, oh, you brought us tea. I'm like, that's cool. Give me a coffee. Can I make a cucumber sandwich? Yeah, but could you just make me like a better sandwich instead that's that's have you ever had a cucumber sandwich i don't think so but okay. i seem to recall having a cucumber sandwich possibly with like mayonnaise or something which would not work as well as cream cheese no i think i've had it with mayonnaise too and it's not i mean i actually don't mind it now i kind of want a cucumber sandwich but um yeah i feel like a whole wheat toasted or grilled cucumber sandwich with like either goat's cheese or cream cheese would be better than what i'm envisioning in my head yeah i I think they're good anyways bond will be meeting dr goodhead a woman um bond's going to be meeting dr goodhead and drax uh, once bond is out of earshot instructs his servant to harm bond yes make sure some harm comes to bond mr chang mr bull cut himself so let's talk about Bond and Dr. Goodhead meeting. Chang uh, is the last surviving member of Goldfinger's Korean Cumberbund squad. 
So let's talk about Dr. Goodhead and Bond meeting. Okay. What's going on there? I'm looking for Dr. Goodhead. Oh, you just found her. Oh, a woman. What? And then he realizes, because she is not impressed, because she said, Joe, your powers of observation. And he realizes he fucked up. And he's like, oh, my name's James. My friends call me James. And he extends the hand and she actually takes it because she's obviously the bigger person in this situation. And he's probably like, dodge that bullet. No, he is a dick through this whole encounter. He's a dick through all his encounters. And she, yeah. Especially in this film. This one, he's particularly bad, I found. He keeps digging himself in deeper. So he does the whole a woman thing. Yeah. Which he thinks, I think he thinks he's being charming and she's not charmed, which is the reason why I like her. But he then says, are you training to be, well, I wrote, are you training to be a housewife? But that's not what he said. (laughs) Are you training to be an astronaut? And no, she's like, no, I'm fully qualified or fully trained or whatever. Yeah. Like you're meeting a doctor, Mm. maybe be a little bit impressed by her credentials and ask her like, you're a doctor of what? Like, what is it that you do? No. Anyway, so she walks him in to see. Well, she's talking, she's explaining to him about the space shuttle and what the Moonraker is. And he's finishing her line. And she's like, oh, the Moonraker's whatever, like vertical landing. And he's like, oh, and it lands like a conventional plane. We're like, everybody on the planet knows that a space shuttle lands like a conventional plane. You're trying to one-up her or or show off with knowledge that everybody over the age of eight years old knows. Congratulations. He's mansplaining how the rocket works to a rocket scientist. But the most basic knowledge about it too which is right yeah and the the uh the centrifuge the uh g-spot stimulator later when he gets into that and he's like oh this is a he's like this is a g-force uh you know whatever and he's explaining to everybody that knows what those are like everybody that knows what they look like knows what they do it's like why are you explaining or mansplaining as you said the most basic common knowledge it's just like shut your spy mouth and just listen to her explain it to you she is clearly knowledgeable and if you share some of the knowledge that's fine but don't like finish her sentences and he's looking super cheeky like he's really proud of himself after he said it like i'm as smart as you are yeah he always does this like swarmy know-it-all thing there's a difference between roger and sean sean was kind of more casual about it roger can't seem to do it without seeming like smarmy yeah it just that whole scene actually even after the centrifuge thing really made me mad he he just seems really annoyed at her for explaining things to him yeah i don't i don't like know-it-all bond so she suggests that he tries out the like so the centrifuge is like basically a gravitron but (laughs) yeah on crack yeah pretty much also why does it have murder g's so it goes up to like i don't know 20 g's which would kill a person why do you have that option on it if it's made for people? They needed to learn how to how far you can push people, I guess. So they killed people? Yeah. I don't think that's how that worked. Because it's... Again, that wasn't Russia. Well, why does the... Uh, it's the same thing as the massage table or the rack in Thunderball. Why does it have like the death setting, right? You know, it's just... just It just does. No, it doesn't. It's not a thing. It had the danger thing in the red bit. I know it did for the movie. It's just not a thing in real well, life. this might not be a real G-Spot simulator, so... Uh, you're probably right. Oh, it looked real. So he goes into the centrifuge and basically she sets it up for him and puts his hand on the button. So like the, when you release the button, it would stop. And she takes off, which I feel is unprofessional. <laughs> but after the way he acted, I don't blame her. Bull cut 
manservant Chang. basically takes over to, I guess, trying to kill Bond? I guess so, yeah. At 7G's, Bond takes his finger off the button. Which I like, because they don't get... They don't get crazy with him. Like, he's not able to somehow withstand 20 Gs. You know what I mean? Like they, he taps out early and he's, you know, having a panic. He's starting to black out. Like he doesn't hold it together for aimless, like for ludicrous amounts of time. And he has his cuts in his, you know, with the, with the dark gun and stuff. I like the fact that they didn't make him superhuman. I think seven Gs is actually like a lot of Gs. I think I probably would have fainted at half of one because I almost faint on really big roller coasters. It doesn't <laughs> stop me from going on yeah. them. But yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like it wasn't an insane amount. I don't know anything about G-forces really, but I do think that would be an amount that a human, like a trained human usually could withstand. Um, I find it very interesting as he was uh, fainting that, I guess, is it his dying mind that flashes to Q? Like I know it's supposed to be him to remember he has a dart and yeah can. but i'm like oh his last his dying <laughs> thought was of q well, what M was does there too mean? though right that's true yeah i don't think he'd be thinking about m in his last dying moments he's mm-hmm. probably you know again he's just improvising he's just grasping at anything he, he can to get him out of that situation and he flashes to what would q do maybe oh q gave me the dart gun and then yeah i do like the fact that he gets out as well and he's not really keeping it together when he's, oh, but he's, he's like, mad at Dr. Goodhead. I But you had just said that it was very unprofessional of her to leave. So I don't he, think that's why he's mad at well, her. He probably figured that she did it. Maybe that I didn't think of it yeah. that way. I thought he was just mad because he was a like a very proud man that was in a moment of weakness and she was trying to help him and he just would not have it. I figured that if she he figured that she set him up. That could be true. But the look on Chang's face when the dark on... <laughs> Chang's I don't just remember like, that. Oh, it's great. He's just like, he's so like, oh, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> he's so not happy. I love it. Bond then makes his way to the humble helicopter pilot's room. Yeah. Did just you like... notice that when Bond starts kissing women for information, it has the equivalent effect of waterboarding someone where they just spill the beans? Maybe he's got a lot of saliva. I'm wondering. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on exactly, but it's torture. Yeah, he just I don't like... think it's pleasant. I think maybe it's torturous. And they're like, I'll tell you anything. I'm drowning in your... <laughs> just stop. Drowning in your spit. It's the force of him sucking his cheeks in is like feeling deadly to them. Yeah, maybe. He's sucking their soul out of their face. Mm, he, isn't that from Harry Potter? Uh, the Dementors, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he just like helps himself to her room. And then he just like helps himself to her. And then she even says, oh, you make a lot of... A lot of assumptions, Mr. Bond. And mm-hmm. then he doesn't slow down. She has that really great line, like, oh, my mother gave me a list of things not to do on a first date. You don't write them down. This would be a conversation you'd have with your mom, maybe over tea and cucumber sandwiches. Sure. So when she's like, well, I never learned how to read. Oh, yeah. Like, What's this reference about being illiterate? You can't fly a helicopter if you can't read. Yeah, I don't think they do helicopter textbooks in audiobook form. Mm-hmm. Probably not. Especially back then. Yeah, definitely not then. Uh, Crestash bad guy is stalking, is skulking around. Chang? Yeah. Why do you call him Crestash? He has that little, like, fake little barely there mustache. Oh, is it just peach fuzz, though? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a Crestash. I would just envision a Crestash as being, like, a not clean mustache, which I don't think any mustaches are clean, let's be honest. I think there's research showing that you're right. Yeah. I don't know. I always call those little peach fuss mustaches crustaches. So I'd like to talk about the humble helicopter pilot's name for a second. Karen Dufour. Yeah. I don't know if it's purposefully done that way or not because a lot of... It is because her real name is Corinne. Purposely done. It's, I'm not talking about her first name. <laughs> I know. Um, I don't know if it's purposefully done that way, but... 
In French, the word four would be like to stuff, and it's used as a slang term for sex. So I think like good head and uh, pussy galore and octopusy, like all of that, I'm wondering if it was chosen on purpose or it was just yeah, maybe. accidental. If anyone knows this, can they let me know? I'm actually kind of curious about it. So it's grin for stuffing? Yes, but again, like... That word is used as a slang term. Like I'm, if you would I'm willing, say, I'm willing to bet it has to be like one French person in writing or consulting or something. Yeah. Oh, hey, you should call her this instead. She's already French. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. We'll go with that. I feel, I feel like it probably is because again, most women's names, maybe not all, but most of them or a lot of them have. I, I don't even want to say a play on words because it's way it's more blatantly blatant. obvious. Yeah. yeah, her name is Lada. A lot of vagina. Yeah. Bond is going through the drawers in, not uh, Kudin's drawers yet, but uh, in the room, just trying to find information or anything like that. Oh, in Drax's office? Yeah. Yeah. And then the pilot is mad at him, but he asks if there's a safe on the premises, and she kind of cuts her eyes towards where the safe is. Accidentally or subconsciously. Yeah. And then he's like, thanks. Yeah. I kind of like that because I feel like that could actually happen. Oh, I think so too. Yeah. Especially if you're not someone who's used to being um, pumped for information or anything like that. Do forward for information. Do forward. <laughs> so he has a very small safe cracker. Which is pretty cool, actually. I like that uh, that Q gadget. They didn't get into that in the MI6 office, but it was actually looked really neat. It goes beep, beep, boop. I don't think you'd want to beep, beep, boop when you're trying to be quiet. I know. Just maybe have a green light and a red light that's very dim, works on a very low power supply, so it's not too bright. Mm-hmm. I then wrote, he opens a safe and it contains a Kit Kat. I really want a Kit Kat. I can bring one back. Will you take it from a safe? I could. I'd have to put it in the safe, though. I feel like that would lose some of the edge, but I could put it. <laughs> I could put it in the safe, crack the safe without using a safe cracker, but I could go beep, beep, boop. And then extract the Kit Kat from the safe. I feel like the Kit Kat would taste better. Yeah, I'd be sitting around all that dirty money. <laughs> <laughs> he finds some blueprints in there. It was not a Kit Kat. No, yeah, he found the blueprints for the... Uh, well, if anything, the blueprints would be for like a honeycomb or something. Right, but he didn't want a honeycomb. <laughs> yeah, but you want a Kit Kat. Yeah. Yeah, so he found the... Uh, he found the... like the, I guess they're sort of blueprints for the, for the glass molds that are going to be made in Venice. He's very like detective bond in this, actually. I guess. I think. Can you bring up another example? Just this bit. <laughs> I guess when he finds the the well, vial of poison and stuff as well. Yeah, so he sneaks into the he sneaks in, sneaks into the lab and takes the, the vial and all that kind of stuff. But I think yeah, well him you know doing this bit and then also sneaking into the actual glass blowing place. He's sort of sneaking off and you know while the tour guide's doing her bit and then he goes into the glass. Yeah. Blowing room. So it cuts to the next day um, in. You can see Drax and a crew of unknown people are sports hunting. Yeah, just a bunch of men showing their dominance over very small birds while being ludicrously outfitted in fleece, I guess. Wool? Probably wool. And Bond arrives with his elbow patches. (laughs) Yeah. And some guy climbs into a tree to shoot him. Yes. So Drax encourages Bond to take up some shooting himself. And Bond is like, no, no, I don't want to do it. I'm not really, it's not really my jam. The whole time they keep cutting back to the sniper, getting like adjusting his scope and and making all those little micro adjustments so he can shoot Bond. And then Bond has this moment to shoot. And then he's like, oh, you missed. And he's like, oh, 
did I? And then the guy falls out of the tree. The sniper falls out of the tree. If the sniper is making all these little micro adjustments, either he's just really into the new scope he bought for his rifle or Bond has remarkably great range on that rifle. Yeah, I think part of it might have been, and you brought this up in Dr. No, where they didn't want to shoot an unarmed man. So through this whole sequence, Bond doesn't actually have a gun until basically the end of it. So that might be why he's waiting to shoot him, because Bond is technically unarmed. You know what you think? I don't know. Hmm. I just made that up on the spot. That could be. I mean, Dr. No is 62. I would think like a lot of... A lot of um movies and and stuff had changed how that would work over the years but yeah maybe possibly but it might be a james bond gentleman spy thing yeah could be or i could be totally wrong and he just was playing with his new scope waiting for the perfect moment (laughs) i do like that though um Roger showing how cool bond is in that moment he's just like oh yeah you know no big deal i'll just blow this guy out of the tree we have this really sort of menacing firing scene with corinne yeah, that's not great. That was crazy. That's really dark. That yeah. scene was really dark. Which is interesting because it's plopped into the middle of a pretty lighthearted film. Yeah. Like, it's it's crazy. And she got a pretty good distance in those shoes, I think. And don't get me wrong, she made some bad choices. <laughs> like, Cut-In gets there and Drax basically tells her, like, I know what you've done. You're fired. Like, she immediately senses that something's going to go down like she's not just fired but some stuff is going to happen if she heard the yeah as she was walking away and she knew that meant something but she arrived in a golf cart and i know golf carts probably don't go really fast but i feel like it would have given her some sort of protection against the dogs yeah drive the fucking golf cart it would have made so much more sense but maybe golf carts can't go faster than you can run but you can't outrun the dogs anyway well do you feel like the dog would like try to jump up on a golf cart i think so but i feel like it would have made it harder yeah i mean for the purposes of the film sure the chase in the sort of the smoky woods worked great it was pretty menacing might even actually be one of the best sequences in the whole film and it was really dark and it sort of showed um like drax's sort of level of insanity i guess uh like oh well i hate her she'll just be eaten alive in the fucking woods that's that's nuts but yeah, if we were talking realisticness, I would say get on the damn golf cart. <laughs> yeah, obviously she doesn't outrun the dogs and gets um, chomped. chomped by them. Also, where did everyone go? There was a ton of people hunting and then all of a sudden there's no one there. I mean, if the big boss is meeting with somebody who looks like he might be someone of importance, they might know to sort of bugger off and tuck back into the woods maybe. I guess. That's possible. Oh, well, this could be serious. Or when he hands the other guy the gun, maybe they're just sort of politely giving him the space. Or maybe when they saw the sniper climb the tree, they're like, eh, uh-oh, maybe I'm just going to leave this one. Hey, it's time to later days from here. Yeah. Bond again encounters Goodhead in Venice and observes her snooping around a door near the glass factory. Then he's chased through the canals by Drax's henchmen. He returns to the factory at night to check out the door. He discovers a secret biological lab and learns that the glass vials are to hold a nerve gas deadly to humans, but harmless to animals. Chang attacks Bond, but Bond hurls him through the stained glass clock face of the St. Mark's clock tower, killing him and destroying what is probably a very important monument. During the fight, Bond finds evidence that Drax is moving his operations to Rio. Rejoining Goodhead, he deduces that she is a CIA agent spying on Drax and sleeps with her. Because why not? 
Bon has saved one of the vials he found earlier as the only evidence of the now empty lab. He gives it to M for analysis, who permits him to go to Rio under the pretense of being on leave. And Bon gets put on leave quite frequently. Yeah, fake leave in this case, but, but regardless. I wouldn't mind being put on leave, not having to use vacation for like a week. Yeah, well, just try to, you know, unveil a secret lab to your boss and then have it not be there. Which should be easy because I don't think you know of any secret labs. Don't think you would notice. <laughs> okay, whatever. So we're at a glass door. We have one of those here and down by the boardwalk. Maybe there's like a secret lab down there. Never allow me to go in. I would accidentally break everything within three seconds. In a glass store or the actual like glass blowers sort of workshop? All of it. Okay. I actually do. I, I always wanted to learn how to blow glass though. It looks terrifying. Hmm. Outside the uh, glass blowers plant though, we see um, Goodhead. She's wearing like a, what is that? Wearing like a rose gold sequin dress. It's like really interesting outfit i actually didn't remember that yeah she looked great yeah but it's really she's, very interesting color she's a super beautiful woman and wears her clothes very well true while we're in the glass um the glass door we are introduced to a super old glass bowl that's worth a ton of money yeah that will come back later i like the tour guide She's sort of giving the tour to the people visiting, and she has the alarm system. She's like, oh, if you were to take it, this sound happens, and everybody has a chuckle. Is that attached to the police station, that alarm? I'm sure it's attached to the security guards at the, at the plant. But my thing is, is that you do this seven times a day for the tours. If you were to actually just sort of go along with the tour, maybe 30 minutes after, and just do that... It's sort of like a cry wolf situation at this yeah. point. I don't know if the security guards would give a shit. They'd be like, oh, there's the alarm. Oh, wait, no, it's just uh, Susan there doing the tour. I think after a while they'd be like, wait, Susan doesn't usually leave the bowl off that long, though. But it would probably take them a couple beats before they would clue in. Yeah, I would think the beats would give you some... You could just do like an Indiana Jones thing with the band, the bag of sand. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. Or Bart, if you haven't seen this in the Indiana Jones series, Bart Simpson does it too. Okay. Uh, Bond and Dr. Goodhead make plans, make sort of tentative plans for drinks later. Yeah, because he can't see why not. Yeah, of course not. But she's like, I don't know. I don't know if she's just supposed to be playing uninterested or she is just uninterested in the whole character. Because it's just, again, her delivery is just like really dry. But she comes on to him later, which is not often that we see that. Yeah, I suppose. So Bond just hops onto a... What are they called? A gondola. A gondola. I gave you the word for it and then couldn't remember yeah. it. Bond hops onto a gondola and is going down the canal. Obviously, a there's going to be a boat chase. Oh, I love canal poetry. Do you love it when women throw things in canals? <laughs> Shopping trolleys. I always wondered how those got into canals. I'd often wondered how those things ended up in canals. Yes. I'm the sort of person who dumps supermarket trolleys in canals. I want to know everything about you. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to have a boat chase. That's not banal. That actually made me angry. That's from Toast. I know, but it's just <laughs> terrible. Um, but turns out this is a rigged gondola. Yeah, a little bit. So it has a motor. Well, the uh, other things. The pilot of the original pilot of the gondola is quickly sort of put out, mm. and then which is awfully handy because then way, that way Bond can work all their controls and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean the gondola is just, I don't know, it's just terrible. 
Like, it, I, I literally, I literally wrote, this is ludicrous. Yeah. Like, it's insane. Yeah. It just is. Like, the, like why would you... And then you... it becomes a hovercraft. Yeah. And also, is... where did he get that hat? Well, that probably fell off the, the original gondola. Into the boat? Yeah, it might have. I didn't catch that. Maybe. He's rocking that ribbon, I guess. Oh, and then the pigeon does the double take? Yep. The pigeon. Oh, guys, like, no. Yeah. Did anyone proofread their work? That wasn't... It's it's always interesting. You, know, you always hear about these, like, ball-busting producers when you talk about, you know, films behind the scenes and, like, all the producers weigh in and they say, oh, absolutely not. How did that get through the final cut? Because someone thought it was funny. Oh, it was, like, really... Obviously, it was just, like, a loop, like, digitized for that, like, millisecond to get the double because it was very sort of blocky as the pigeon looked again. That's a really terrible effect. I just... It's it just... It was gross. Yeah. And then, of course, the guy drinking the wine sort of looks at the wine again, which I'm pretty sure he's the same guy from Spy Loved Me. I know. Stop using the same joke. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It is the same film. I shouldn't say that because sometimes bringing back a joke can be funnier, but not that. See Austin Powers 1 and 2 and then see 2 compared to 3. Same jokes the third time around. You're like, all right, no, just stop. Yeah. Yeah, it's too much. But yeah, the gondola is just, just awful. Bond then sneaks into the glass store into the secret lab that they have yeah science happens and then <laughs> science happens yeah it's a pretty wide-range statement well i didn't know what was going on it was something sciencey <laughs> i guess so yeah um he steals the dinosaur dna and then the scientists come back but then uh he had left something out and so they drop one of the vials of poison yeah and die the rock style the rock style the movie the rock which you reference frequently, yeah. Yeah, when they get poisoned. Okay, I don't, I don't specifically remember like that part. Like melt their skin. Okay. Yeah. Welcome to the Rock. Yeah. So you say skin melting? I just think of it back to Indiana Jones. And Bond just watches that in cold blood. He just watches it. Cold blood or horrified? Like he's kind of. I think he's just stunned. He doesn't look away. He's learning. He's trying to see what happens. He's learning science. He's learning science himself. Mm-hmm. But you know. The scientists are going to die because there's glass there. And no matter what happens with the scientists, they always go to that, like, protective glass and, like, <laughs> yeah. it. So. It's very dramatic. The mice are okay, though. That was good. Yeah, I feel bad for the rats. They're locked up, but they survived this round. Bullcut attacks Bond in the glass door. All the destruction. Like, he destroys everything. And this fight scene is just so crazy because they're clearly just launching themselves at different displays of glass. Half of those they wouldn't even have had to break. And they just do it. Yeah. Just to destroy stuff. Looks great on film. No, because the whole time I'm like, it's probably like a small store owner that owns this glass factory, making a living, and you destroyed literally every piece he had there. Or it's probably Drax's collection and it's a front for his laboratory. Still, it's still impolite to destroy everything. Well, they tried not to. They tried no, to save, they did they not. They tried to save a bowl. Well, that didn't work out, did Not did so it? much. No. That super expensive bowl? Destroyed. But, like, uh, Chang loses the element of surprise because he just yells all the time. His... What? I actually wrote he was yelling like that climber. <laughs> Adamandra? Yeah. Yeah. And 
then, of all things they destroy, Bond then throws him through the stained glass clock face, which is probably a million years old and worth millions of dollars, and he destroys it. And we never talk about this. No one talks about it. I'm sure they have insurance. You can never get that back. Hmm. You cannot. I'll never get back the play it again, Sam. Yeah. I'd rather hear Chang screaming his tits off than hear play it again, Sam. Because you feel like it's bringing down the movie? Well, yeah, I don't know. Because isn't that from Casablanca? Something like that. It's from something. I'm sure it is, but it didn't. It's one of Roger's one-liners. They're all a little cheesy, but I'm sure they could have come up with something a little bit better than play it again, Sam. Yeah, that was just sort of cheap. Yeah. A misquotation of the line, play it, Sam, from Casablanca. Bond then makes his way in. Yeah, it's sort of, I think he sort of figures it out that she's CIA because he starts going through all her shit very impolitely with the same curiosity he brings when he goes through Q's shit with all that sort of, I just need to touch everything. Mm-hmm. Her poison pen. Yep. Her dark notebook and her fiery perfume. Yeah. He deduces pretty quickly that she's CIA. Yeah. I really like the the poison pen thing, which is great. Because he's like, oh, it's not what I was looking to get stuck with tonight. Which <laughs> immediately I was like, is he into ass play? <laughs> what is he going to get stuck with tonight? Excuse me. Also, he says, oh, uh, Bollinger 69, you were expecting me. They have now named every year of Bollinger available, I'm pretty sure, and been like, oh, that's a good vintage. Just, they're all good vintages. Please stop. Yeah. Just stop. Yeah. Give it up. It's that know-it-all smarminess. And then here, when he, like, shoots the fiery perfume, she just kind of smiles at him, like, okay, you got me. Like, I don't care. And then she comes on to him in this scene. Yeah, that, could this be the moment we pool our resources line? Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, God, like. Just don't be so obvious with the dialogue. I think it's just one of those moments. I think if anyone um, saw, let's say, you and someone else flirting, it would be super awkward for the other person where it's feeling like flirty and fun for you. But if anyone else was overhearing it, they'd be like, what? Like, yeah, that's suppose, just yeah. uncomfortable for everyone. I don't like being the everyone else in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is awkward. She tells him that trust is not an option, though. Yeah, I like that. It's interesting that that's coming from her. Well, and she's also lying. He's like, you're going somewhere? She's like, nope. And then I'm not leaving anywhere. And then, you know, well, then trust is not an option. And then he wakes up and leaves. But she's already waiting for him to just fucking get out so she can get get on the plane. It's funny because they're playing one another. And I think they both know it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Later on, he's like, well, I tripped over your luggage on the way out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She accuses him of just running off in the middle of the night. And he says, yes, and I tripped over your luggage by the door on my way out. Which I really like that back and forth when that that comes up. So the next day, he basically takes M over to that secret lab, has everyone ready. They've got gas masks. They enter the room and there's Dinklage and no lab. Yeah. Such an embarrassing moment. It would be really embarrassing. It would be. You're just like, oh, for fuck's sakes. Why didn't I just keep an eye on it instead of shagging Lois Childs? Yeah. I mean, I probably would shag Lois Childs. So they ask him for an explanation, and then ultimately he gets, I mean, taken off the case on paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gives the vial he stole to M to bring to Q to figure out what's in there. 
and he's put on his two-week leave of absence to go to Rio, which just sounds like the most amazing thing. Maybe we need to stop watching Bond movies because his life is making me yeah. feel very depressed about well, mine. I think it's supposed to be ex- um, escapism, and instead it's having like an opposite effect where I'm like, oh. You can feel a little less gross because our unfinished basement has nothing on the gaudiness of that presidential suite when he gets to Rio. That's true. But it's the times. <laughs> well, that's awful. Yeah. It's not great. Um, Dinklage is on the phone ordering a new goon. Which is interesting because the way they should have the way they should have done that is they shouldn't have had Jaws in the film until then. That would have been better. Yeah. Um, but is there some kind of hiring pool? <laughs> yeah. Where you be. just call for a goon? Yeah, must be. I guess so. Zip recruiter. <laughs> Zip recruiter. Zip henchman. recruiter henchman. <laughs> yeah. Which is which is neat though because Drax is like, well, if you can get him, it's pretty cool. Because he's like, oh, I know about him. Everybody knows about him. His reputation precedes him. Yeah. Bond survives attacks by Jaws during a Rio Carnival and on the Sugarloaf cable car. After Jaws' cable car crashes, he's rescued from the rubbles by Dolly, a young woman, and the two fall in love. Also, she doesn't wear braces. Drax's forces (laughs) capture Goodhead, but Bond escapes. He learns that the toxin comes from a rare orchid indigenous to the Amazon jungle. Bond travels the Amazon River and comes under attack from Drax's forces before eventually locating his base. Captured by Jaws, Bond is taken to Drax and witnesses four moonrakers lifting off. Drax explains that he stole back the lone shuttle because another in his fleet had developed a fault during assembly. Bond and Goodhead are encaged by Jaws in a fake meeting room under the launch platform and narrowly escape being burned alive by the exhaustive Moonraker 5, which is carrying Drax. After escaping, they pose as pilots on Moonraker 6. The shuttles dock with a huge city-like space station hidden from radar by a cloaking device. Should we get more wine? Uh, yeah, might as well. Where were we? Space station. Oh, they're in Rio. Rio, yeah. Bond gets put into the president's suite. And he's greeted with Manuela. Who's his bartender, who was actually trailing him in a car earlier and taking pictures of him while driving, which is unsafe. She's also using like like a full Nikon. I know. <laughs> like 35 milliliter lens. Are like, wow, like that must be an automatic because she is does not have a shifter hand right now. Nope. And you know, she's like a secret agent because she is in his hotel room when he gets there. So obviously she snuck in, which is very typical. Of yeah, always, Bond. always, always. Yeah. I mean, it's so far happened like three times in the movie. Bond tells her he wants to check out a warehouse. And that's not all. Yeah. <laughs> So they go to the Junkanoo? <laughs> not this time, no. No? No. Oh, it's Carnival? Yeah. That, I, I would not be able to have fun at something like that. Well, just imagine if you're Roger. You'd have even less fun because he's wearing a full tux to that parade in Rio de Janeiro. I'm sure it's not cool there. No. It'd be really well, hot. Well, it definitely is hot because every, like most women are in like Next floss to bikinis. Yeah. And these are wearing a full tux. It'd be awful. For sure. But I think just the crowd, the noise, and the creepy clowns would just yeah. do me in. I would not be able to enjoy any of that. So, so let's talk about the clowns there. Okay. Well, sorry, were you going to say something? Would you have a, a better point to make? No, I just don't like talking about clowns. Okay. I just was going to talk about Jaws's introduction. Okay. Well, do you really feel like the best way for Jaws to find 007 would be wearing a huge clown costume that would 
obstruct his vision? Of course not. I know the man has to blend, but like just put him in a building with a pair of binoculars or something. Yeah, no, for sure. That was definitely not the way. What are the chances that he would actually run into them? It's just, it was just crazy. Yeah. And really, is the clown costume more menacing than Jaws? I'm not sure. (laughs) The clown costume is more menacing than Jaws. So Bond vaults a wall to get into the warehouse and uh, Manuela is just standing there on her own while this immense clown is coming up to her in a very creepy fashion. If I had a gun on me at that point, I would probably just use it on myself because I would be so scared that I just want to get out of the situation. Everything in my logic tells me that clowns are likely bulletproof. I'm just going to shoot myself in the head. (laughs) They cannot die by conventional means. Turns out it's Jaws under that clown costume. At one point, like, Jaws is about to bite her neck off. Does the slow vampire thing? Yeah, and then some people are coming down that alley and he just picks her up and pretends to be dancing with her. Yeah. Why isn't she screaming, help, help, help? I was thinking about that too, but maybe he just like obviously portrayed as being a really strong guy. Maybe he's just like fucking squeezing her. her, Yeah, that's possible. She might not have the air in her lungs to do it. Bond ends up saving her right in the nick of time. Uh, The revelers, actually Bond doesn't save her so much as he just just he just gets dragged away by a crowd of people. Which is amazing because Jaws is trying to sort of like paw his way back to Bond and Manuela. And then at some point the crowd just keeps pushing him and you just see him. He puts his hands in his air. He's like, fuck it. Shrugs. And he just goes with it. You're like, Jaws probably had a great time. Jaws enjoys a good party. He probably got drunk. Maybe he got laid. Had a really great time. And then I'll just carry on with the mission. Maybe he's like Bond's equal in this. So maybe because, I mean, we have to say it, Jaws is odd looking his height his size and the teeth yeah make him stand out so it's probably not necessarily easy for him to blend in you know to make friends to meet people these people accepted him for who he was because they're at a big party where everyone's dressed up everyone looks different so maybe they're not thinking as much of how he looks different they're not focusing on that so much love it though he's just like fuck whatever Mm -hmm. let's just go get drunk I wonder how much booze it would take for him. I wonder if it's like an Andre the Giant situation where it takes him a lot to get drunk. I would think so, because usually it has to do with your body weight, right? So he's like 7'2 and 350 pounds. Mm-hmm. And then Bond tells Manuela that she has to go lay down, because clearly she's completely frazzled. Which I was thinking about that, too. I'm like, come on. like She's an agent herself. She's probably... But then at the same time, if we get back to the comment where Jaws, like, might have squeezed the friggin' life out of her. Like, well, yeah, maybe. She probably doesn't feel great. I mean, even if she's an agent, that would have been... It was a clown. It would have been traumatic. <laughs> I feel like, I could be a secret agent, but I don't fucking do clowns. I don't so. fucking do clowns. Yeah. Um, we never see her again. No. I'm assuming Bond killed her. Is there any other explanation? Well, he probably slept with her, and then she accidentally... I don't know, dropped she an, ele- an STD that complicated or and she dropped dead. an electric toothbrush in a, or a 70s era electric toothbrush in a bathtub or something like it could be anything. She's obviously dead because he obviously hooked up with her. It's just mm. the rules. In the next scene, can we talk about Bond's collar? Yeah, he's got a huge collar. I mean, it should be if it's not held captive by the bow tie. It's like if he's wearing a bow tie, it would be more subdued. The points of it would be tucked into his jacket a little bit but without the bow tie and he's obviously opened it up it's a huge collar i know this is how it was worn, like they were worn in the 70s but it's just and this is late 70s too so it's getting away from that so ridiculous yeah well the 80s weren't better can we just say that again the a- the 80s weren't better 80s fashion was garbage yeah 
despite all these hipster people trying to bring it back. Stop it. It sucked. We, we lived through it. That's exactly it the thing. It wasn't great then. Hipsters, these, all these like modern hipsters, they didn't have to suffer through it the first time. They're like, oh, it's great. It's like, yeah, you wait in 20 more years when it comes back around. They're going to be like, oh, fuck yeah, that. Yeah, but you remember terrible. when we were young and we wore bell bottoms and stuff like that, right? So we did the same thing. I honestly don't remember wearing bell bottoms. It, they came back. It, they weren't like... Oh, you mean in the 90s? Yeah. Oh, no, that wasn't really a thing for me. Yeah, I did it. Yeah, because it was like a... Well, I'm, I've got a few years on you, so I was really in the middle of the rebirth of that so i have to say there's some stuff i miss from the 90s like i don't like skinny jeans a lot i'd rather have like a looser cut jean like a boot cut or a straight cut which are basically well boot cut are making their way back now thankfully don't know if i'll wear them because i still have a few pairs that i don't really like all that much but and i do miss like early 90s, and I wasn't old enough for this, but watching TV where um, women's fashion was a lot of men's clothing, like suits and button-up shirts and stuff like that, that were like just kind of loose, thinking like Elaine in Seinfeld look that she wore. And I do miss that. Like I don't like, well, I just don't wear many very tight clothing. So I think maybe just You don't like to be vacuum sealed into your clothing? I do not. Um, But yeah, like that I actually did like. I would obviously put a modern twist on it, but... I could bring that back. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. True. Bond's collar. He pays his 25 cents to use a telescope on top of a mountain and peeks on Drax's airspace and then peeks on Goodhead, who also happens to be there. Yeah, and all of Rio, Rio de Janeiro, they just happens to find Goodhead, who also didn't bring binoculars, so she has to spend her 25 cents using the touristy scopes herself. Have you ever used those? <laughs> yes. You don't see that well with them. Well... The ones that I've used are like the flat chrome, the really decorative ones, not the one with like the big telescopic lens on it. Mm. So maybe. And the ones I've I've used, you, you don't see that well no. with them. So I don't know. I feel like spies should have access to binoculars, but I might be wrong. Bond calls her chilly because she's being a little bit standoffish with him. Yeah. And that's the part where she says, well, you just sort of absconded in the middle of the night. And he's like, yeah, tripping over your luggage on the way out. She's so like, I'm chilly, Lois, chilly. Her name's Charles. <laughs> Again, throw it at the wall, see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they talk, they discuss working together again at this point, and they're more in agreement. And then they jump on the cable car to get down the mountain. Cable car gets stuck. Yeah, Jaws sort of does the big, I, I like that. I do like the sequence with Jaws leading up to the cable car. I think all the cable car action is pretty terrible, but him sort of being in the room and grabbing the wheel. I love that. Like, that's really cool. It sort of shows how strong he is. And we watched an interview with Richard Keel uh, earlier on where he discussed the, the cable car cable and how it was licor- licorice. I love that. It was really cool. And he's like, oh, and I happen to like black licorice. If I were Jaws... So I took that scene five times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Yeah, so I did five five takes of it. If I were Jaws, I'd be like, absolutely fucking... torture. Give yeah, me yeah. an actual cable to bite through. I would rather gnaw through a regular cable uh, with my normal teeth than have black licorice. However, it's very entertaining to watch you eat something licorice flavored by accident. Fuck off one of my prouder moments i think one of my favorite moments in this entire relationship we get uh married next year i feel like that's probably going to make its way into some kind of speech that you give i do i need to give a speech i don't think so i don't know I've never I don't been, know what proper etiquette yeah, is. Yeah, I don't. I've never been married before. I'm not giving. I'm not sure how it goes. <laughs> so he bites the cable, and it's a really great bit. But then he like slow hands across the line, sort of just sort of like going across. And you're like, two things. One, obviously that man's feet are very much on the ground. Two, if you were only 
going hand over hand, you do it as quick as you possibly fucking yeah, could. Yeah, because you're going to scrape that skin off. Yeah, for sure. I like that Bond's reaction to the cable car stopping is we're safer outside than in and climbs to the roof. And he goes, oh, grab that chain. The fuck is there a chain in the cable car for? Also, where is that logic? You're safe out in open space dangling over a mountain? I don't think so. Yeah, probably not. Anyway, so they do climb out. Jaws is making his way um, over and does this ridiculous leap from one cable car to the next. Yeah. It is ridiculous. This is one of those cases where it cuts back to the to the skiing sequences. Like you're yeah. really, you're better off not doing close-ups. Like just don't do a close-up. Don't show uh, Richard Keel doing, a, doing this motion where he throws his hands in the air and then never actually leaves the ground. Like just don't do it. Just yeah. show the stuntman from a distance making the jump. It, it's so much better. Like, yeah. I get it. You want to show that it looks like it's like, you know, yeah, look at Richard Keel actually making this jump. He's not. So just, so just don't. It's not worth it. Yeah. It's not worth the extra cut. They uh, bond and Jaws fight and Dr. Goodhead gets knocked out. Eventually they just stuff Jaws into the actual car and zip line their way to freedom. And Jaws like punches through the... Uh... I always like it when Jaws is able to punch through metal and just rip it like it's paper or wet cardboard. It's, always, it's a really impressive effect every time they do it. That's yeah. the one thing they do with Jaws really well. When he tears the van apart in Spy, and then on this one where he rips the hatch, I'm like, it looked really good. He ends up crashing that cable car. Which <laughs> is great. Pretty significantly. Like, it's pretty dramatic. Yeah, like, you knew what he's... Like, he... They kind of cartoon him again by making him, like, oh, surprise. Like, even if you did manage to smuck Bond, you're still going to run into the cable car house. Yeah. And then the cable car is being operated by the man with the flattest nose ever i don't understand what's up with that man's face i don't remember that the bald dude he's like very very flat nosed it was really strange but if all of this hadn't happened jaws would not have met the love of his life dolly or as i have her in my notes pigtails and tits no she's more than that is she though because she doesn't really provide any dialogue i don't know she like she looks beyond the physical with the jaws just falls in love with who he is she's probably like this guy can really take a fucking beating and keep ticking so maybe she's just impressed by his durability possibly i wrote he's helped out of the rubble by or out of the rubble by a cute blonde maybe he's attracted to her superhuman strength because he's like trying to get that big Mm. wheel off him and then she comes up and helps him you're like she must be pretty fucking strong too yeah that's true so when people were confused about the braces thing maybe or her lack of braces thing maybe they should have been looking at her physical strength that's true. She might have some superpowers. Really strong pecs. Bond and Dr. Goodhead are lying in the grass because they kind of took a leap off their zip line to avoid that cable car coming at them. And they're making out in the grass. And some medics arrive and they're like, <laughs> like, we're fine. Don't worry about it. But turns out they're not actual medics. And they get kind of hit on the back of the head. Who has a fake EMT team kicking around for this type of event? Or... Drax. Fair, kind of fair. Or is it like a ski hill in the off season, and they're like, oh, the maybe, ski, or they're like the ski patrol? I don't like. It's, it's so weird. They get carted into an ambulance, and then like, God, um, Doctor Goodhead, Doctor Goodhead, and Bond are both making eyes at uh, the medic. It's it's amazing. Like when she starts making eyes at him, you're like, I'm sorry, she would probably distract me if she's looking at me that way too. And then he's sort of messing with the 
what do you call the it? Ties. Uh, with the ties. With the ties of his ropes and then the cot or the stretcher he's in. And that's funny. And then, you know, she keeps looking at him and then he must be like, oh, it must be drawing my attention. And then he looks back at Bond and Bond's like raised eyebrows, making the look like it's, it's pretty funny. I love it when Bond starts the seduction because that's what Sean did in uh, Goldfinger too. Mm-hmm. With, the, uh, with the Korean cummerbund squad, whatever that was. There's a fight that ensues inside the back of the ambulance. He can't even beat up the evil EMT. No. He's just really not getting him at all. And even, he's not even, he's got robes, but he even cuts his legs free. Um, yeah, that doesn't really work out. And he instead goes flying out the back of the ambulance. Yep. Dr. Goodhead is still on the ambulance. And she's whisked away, whisked away to captivity. Bond does not attempt at all to follow that ambulance and help Dr. Goodhead. Well, the way it's shot, you kind of get the impression that it's just going up to the top of the hill or something. Obviously, it's... Obviously, she's being taken further away than just like a quick jaunt up the hill, but... Yeah, but it's like the way that's shot, I understand what you're saying about that. The way it's shot, it's literally like he falls out the back, dusts himself off, and then heads to find Em. Like, there's no thought of trying to save her. Yeah. And I honestly think him finding her later is incidental. I don't think that's what he was trying to do. She just happened to be there. Yeah, probably. So we get this really amazing shot of Bond riding a horse in a poncho. Bond's in the poncho, not the horse. (laughs) Making his way to find M. It's so strange because it's completely surreal. It's like they threw some extra footage from a Roger Moore Western film. A spaghetti Western. It's so weird. Like, what is he doing? Like, just, you feel like he should be running up the hill or maybe got in a car or gone up the hill. No, he's just on a horseback uh, riding across the desert when Clint Eastwood's poncho. I don't get it. I don't know why they put it in. It was, it was a weird scene, but he does find M and Q eventually where he gets the information about that vial that he gave them. So he finds out that that poison is made from flowers in the Amazon. He is given a boat by Q. Yeah, uh, what does he say? He's like, oh, I have just the thing to get him there. If he can look after it. Clearly he can't. And then the next scene they show him like sort of scraping through some bushes. (laughs) It's like, Jesus, man, like you're going to scrape the paint on that. You know, he obviously does worse than that. But yeah, Roger in a boat. They love putting Roger in boats. It's the second boat chase in this movie. In this movie, yeah. It's the third one in three movies. At one point, a boat jumps out of a tree and chases him. It's just (laughs) completely ridiculous. He's heading for a waterfall. Turns out he has a paraglider. That boat jump is incredible, though. Out of the tree? Well, it doesn't come out of a tree. It obviously comes from like a higher body of water, I think, or... It's like a leftover stuntman from Live and Let Die. But that bow jump is like, it's just nuts. It comes out of nowhere. And you're like, man, that is amazing. And it's, you know, probably because Jaws is crushing the boat pilot's head. He's like, go faster. Jump that. He paraglides to safety. He crash lands his glider and is on a tropical, I don't know. He's in a tropical area and there's a woman is just there and he follows her because why not? Yeah, he like follows the virgin back to the shiny fortress of solitude looking place. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like everything there was shiny. Like And then he's surrounded by astronauts. Astronauts or virgins, you can't really tell which. <laughs> and then gets thrown into the snake pit. And it's one of those choky snakes. Well, it's not a snake pit. It's like a body of water. And then it's, it's like snake. a waterfall sort of thing, a pond. A water that. feature. Yeah. And then there's a python there. Oh, is that what they're called? I think so. I just wrote a choky snake. Well, I think it's a python choky snake. Anaconda? Maybe that too. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know my snakes. It and wasn't real anyways. Turns <laughs> out Bond had stolen <laughs> Dr. Goodhead's pen and he stabs the python anaconda garter snake with it. Yeah, exactly. 
Which was great because like his sleight of hand at this point is so fucking good. The audience didn't even know what he was doing. No one saw that happening. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Sean be screwed at this point. <laughs> when Drax gets there, I find it interesting that Drax actually says, I've been trying to give you an amusing death. And I'm like, finally, someone who explains why they're not just shooting him in the head the yeah, first yeah. opportunity. He's like, I just needed a chuckle. Yeah. I just needed to laugh. I was trying to make it funny and you're not cooperating. But he says, I'm going to you know, put you out of my misery, yeah. which I like that little spin on things. So yeah, Jaws just sort of picks him up by the, by the lapels and drags him out of the pond. Soggy Jaws, I should say. Soggy Jaws picks him up. He gets thrown into, I don't know why they keep referring to it as a fake conference room, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's like multi-purpose rooms is a thing, I guess. Uh, but like, why would you, why would they make a fake conference room? Why like, are they like, calling it a conference room? Why just not call it a room? Like, how many conferences are they having? A, this is not a hotel a or a fucking, convention center. It's a, it's a round table <laughs> in an exhaust port. Why would you do that? Anyway, he gets thrown into there and... Um, Bond must be cold. Put him somewhere where he'll be warm. Yeah, Goodhead is there. You can't help but feel she was actually incidental. Like, there was no... He wasn't looking for her. He maybe was just he's, on his mission. Maybe he's saying, thank God you're safe because I'm really going to need you once we get into space. He's like, oh, you. Right, 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 right. You were in this movie. I oh, forgot about good you. good feet. Good thing you're here. <laughs> so they're beneath, as you mentioned, they're beneath the shuttle. So when it takes off, basically, they're going to catch fire. But luckily, Bond is able to explode an air vent and they sneak away. And another not mentioned Q gadget, which I thought was kind of interesting. Wasn't that the exploding? Oh no! It wasn't the dart. It was it's just some. Little... Yeah, uh, no, yeah. like that yeah, was his actual watch, not the, not the yeah, dart, yeah. not the wrist dart. So they get out of there. They sort of start exploring Drax's underground lair. Yeah. And you know it's underground because there's a mini moke, which again, all of these films have a mini moke in them. And there's lots of yellow minions as well. The yellow minions are wearing yellow Chuck Taylors as well, which I noticed. And actually, when they go to space and they're fighting against Drax, they're uh, also wearing yellow Chuck Taylors in that too. So it's Bond is wearing Converse canvas sneakers at this point, which is pretty weird. But then I was like, are they supplied with the yellow Chucks or did they have to buy them? I don't, I don't know. Maybe they get like a footwear allowance. Yeah, because they're not like a regular Chuck Taylor color. I'm assuming they would be supplied. It'd be hard well, to find I think them. they'd have to be because you couldn't just go to Foot Locker and yeah. get or whatever they had back in those days. Bond escapes on one of the little cars. They're going the wrong direction. They jump off. They knock people out. They steal their outfits. Mm. Obviously, the outfits fit. I feel like we've been here before. Really? Yeah. Just a little side note. Why did they have to go the wrong way? Why did they bother to put that in? Why I didn't don't... they just jump two pilots and take their uniforms? I don't know. So they get to where they want to go and they jump on a moonraker. Why is this the plan? Why is the plan to be flown out to outer space? That is just, that's just so crazy to me. Because of Star Wars. Star Wars was a hit and they thought, how are we going to compete with Star Wars? We need to send Bond into space. How are we going to do it? I don't know. We'll just, you'll only live twice it. But like the normal Bond plot would have them stopped before they even got to space. You only live twice. But this one, they jump onto a spaceship. Mm -hmm. It's just bananas. Well, she's a rocket scientist, so it makes sense. Fair. Yeah, that was it though. They were they needed it. They felt the need to compete with Star Wars, so they should have. They they needed to send him into space. So now we're in space. We're in space now, guys. We're watching James Bond, and we're in space. So when you were watching the gondola scene, for all its ridiculousness, did you ever think you're like, oh wow, right, the last quarter of this film, we're going to fucking outer space? No. And this is when it becomes the second film. We're in space. This is a short film. And obviously there's no gravity in space, so everyone moves really slow. <laughs> yeah. 
while holding on to various things. I, they like <laughs> turn their head in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's just like so the, crazy. Yeah, there must be extra resistance in space for like neck movements or something. Uh-huh. I did like uh, when they did finally dock at the space station. That guy came out and turned the gravity on. I did like that. It's kind of a neat effect. Turns out that they're um, uh, on the Moonraker. They're they have a cargo hold full of hot couples. Yeah, they got a bunch of Aryans in the back seat, feeling the need to make out. Yeah, well, yeah, it's kind of weird. I wonder if even for a second Bond was like, why are they all white? <laughs> there is other races in that, but I just don't think on his shuttle it was the white one. Oh, he had the white person shuttle. <laughs> yeah, or the uh, the Aryans, yeah. <laughs> they find a ship in space. This like big station that's basically referred to as a city in space which is a really great model actually okay we weren't like even remotely impressed how cool it was no really no i, I was like looked... why are we in space oh okay you're still on that yeah that lasted a while fair that's a really it's a really cool effect though it's a really great model and the, re- the reveal of it they see a little bit of it and the moonraker docks with that space station there's a bunch of weightless shenanigans and as you mentioned um they turn gravity on then the clones come off the space shuttle after that <laughs> send in the clones <laughs> once they have docked on the space station bond and goodhead disable the radar jamming cloaking device the united states sends a platoon of marines aboard another shuttle <laughs> to intercept the now visible space station space marines they're the same That'd ones. Be a good movie they're the same ones that go on into aliens i don't know if you know that <laughs> Jaws captures Bond and Goodhead, to whom Drax reveals his plan to destroy human life by launching 50 globes that would dispense the nerve gas into Earth's atmosphere. Drax had transported several dozen genetically perfect young men and women of varying races to the space station in the shuttles. Hitler. And like, why are they segregated (laughs) by race anyway? They would live there until Earth was safe again for human life. Their descendants would be the seed, which is gross way of saying it would be the seed for a new master race hitler hitler (laughs) bond persuades jaws to switch his allegiance by getting drax to admit that anyone not measuring up to his physical standards including him and dolly would be exterminated jaws attacks drax's guards and a laser battle ensues between drax's forces and bond jaws and the marines drax's forces are defeated as the station is destroyed while bond shoots and ejects drax into space Bond and Goodhead use Drax's laser-armed Moonraker 5 to destroy the three launched globes and return to Earth. It's revealed that Jaws and Dolly, who ejected themselves in one of Drax's escape pods after toasting with a bottle of champagne, are being recovered by the Marines. Bond's superiors get a video feed of Moonraker 5 and are bemused to see Bond and Goodhead making love in zero gravity, which is ridiculous because we've been here before. All they needed was a frilly curtain. Yeah, we've been here before. Yeah. So there's lots to it. Uh, so there's lots to analyze here. Yeah. Jaws is there with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that Jaws is pretty much the only one not wearing the yellow suit? Looks pretty cool in the braces, though. The suspenders. Absolutely. It's a good look. I feel like he didn't get a yellow suit though because Probably they didn't fit. couldn't or find one that fit. They didn't have Chuck Taylors in his size. It's also possible. There's enough extra material in Roger's uh, jumper that they probably could have. It probably would have fit Jaws like a normal pair of pants because it was pretty baggy. Although Holly Goodheads would fit pretty well. Yeah. So we find out that Drax is looking to create a super race to shape Earth. Yeah. Get that Aryan race thing so going. So Hitler in space is what yeah. we're watching. Space Hitler or 
Spissler or... Schittler. <laughs> Schittler. Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, Schittler. Even on Earth, he's still going to be Schittler, but whatever. Bond and Goodhead take off. They're looking for the radar jamming system. find it i don't know how you would recognize that but i guess she is a rocket well that's a great bit too though because they're like well we don't know where it is and she's like oh maybe let's just go this way which like hello bond trope just magically finding out where you need to be but then she finds a sign that says oh it's on level 10 so i get angry and then my sort of anger was satisfied all in the same breath she said let's go this way because well we've already been this way i know what it looks like i haven't seen it so maybe let's go in the direction we haven't been yeah but it's like a 360 direction hall they're in (laughs) i really like the space station i thought the inside of it looked both very star trek and very star wars all at the same time the cool like geometric patterns on the walls yeah and everything was kind of domish and even the globes were like the patterns on the globes are kind of like the death star or those cool lights they have at ikea I love <laughs> I love how Dr. Goodhead is not afraid of getting involved with anything. She does not need Bond at any point. No, she totally dispatches those two guys at the radar center by herself. And, and doesn't he- even look to him. Like, she just goes up and, like, clocks one of them. No, and he actually lets her do it, too, which I also really like. And, and he just, you know, gets the final punch in just because that's how it has to be. Yeah. Also, um, karate Karate dojo. school? Yeah. Yeah. Or ninja school. I, I think it was a karate dojo. I don't know exactly what their martial art was. Um, karate dojo. I did like the line where he says, where did you learn to fight like that in NASA? And she's like, no, Vassar. Yeah, like, yeah. What went on at your university? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was pretty good. They turn off the radar system jamming. Patent. They turn off the radar jamming system and Jaws finds Goodhead and James. Why does Bond hit him in the face again? We've been yeah, here. Yeah, I mean, obviously we don't know the makeup of his actual head, but... But Bond's done it before. You've tried this and it's never worked. It hurt you. Punch him in the fucking nose, dude. Like, he's only a foot taller than Roger. Roger's like 6'2". So you could probably clock him in the nose just fine. Unless Roger's like wingspan is really short. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just don't get it. Like, we've been here before. You've tried to punch him in the face. It didn't work out for you. Move on to another body part. But then he kicks him in the balls and it gets the same effect. You're like, what is happening downstairs? I don't know. He's like Wolverine. 
Peter Dinklage finds out that the radar is not being jammed anymore. Yep. Why are all of the minions wearing like padded wrestling helmets? I had that too. So <laughs> it looks the, so silly. Well, when um when Roger and um well when Bond and Goodhead are on the space shuttle leaving, he's wearing like a scrum cap or like a wrestling helmet. But then like, once they're on the spaceship, there's a guy who's wearing like a sparring helmet. Like yeah. it's got ear protectors on yeah. it and everything. The only thing I could think of is that guy with like the radio thing around his head on Star Trek or Star Wars. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what's happening there. Ridiculous look. So Drax is apparently launching his necklace of death, which is globes filled with the nerve gas and he wants to kill the human race you know just regular stuff (laughs) his pearl necklace of death (laughs) bond realizes that he can kind of play this in his favor because jaws is just standing there so he says you know okay you're trying to get the perfect race if the perfect people for your human race everyone needs to be perfect so people who aren't are going to be dispatched which means jaws and somehow dolly she wears glasses she's not perfect is that what it was or was the pigtails I think it was the glasses. Pigtails aren't permanent. I guess. Jaws, like, all along, you're like, are you smart or are you really dumb? And it's kind of yeah, hard to tell, but he catches on to this it's really sh- quick. Yeah, like, I honestly don't think I would have figured it out. No, you wouldn't. I'd be like, fucking pigtails, she's a goner. <laughs> it's because you think really highly of yourself, so you would have been like, I'm fine, I'm perfect. Well, if I was Jaws and I was Obviously seven they'll fe- be using me for this race. If I was Jaws and I was seven foot two, don't you have any other option but to think highly of yourself? You're really hot up. No, I but think, yeah. no, I think it, again, it, you probably be kind of self-conscious about a lot of stuff because I'm mm-hmm. sure he was made fun of. But yeah, he clued in really quick and I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't have got there on my own. <laughs> I'm like, oh, she looks nice in her glasses. What's the fucking problem? Um, so he gets onto that really quick and turns against Drax. Uh, but they get, Jaws turns on Drax, but they kind of get the, they still manage to overpower Jaws. So they have guns on him. Bond kind of sees the situation getting away from him, I think. So he pushes the chaos button. <laughs> yeah. He basically pushes the uh, space station into ludicrous speed, throwing off the, um, throwing off the the gravitational pull this episode was brought to you by the word ludicrous because i think we've used it five yeah, times that's true <laughs> again i was just thinking space balls space balls ties in really nice to this film prepare to attack prepare to attack on the count of three one two late what happened where are they i don't know sir they must have hyperjets on that thing and what do we got on this thing a cuisinart no sir We'll find them, catch them! Yes, sir! Prepare ship for light speed! No, 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 light speed is too slow! Light speed too slow? Yes, we're gonna have to go right to ludicrous speed! <gasps> ludicrous speed? Sir, we've never gone that fast before. I don't know if the ship can take it. What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? Prepare ship! Prepare ship! For ludicrous speed. Does it? I've never seen it. We gotta watch. Oh, fuck, we gotta watch that. The, like, anti-gravity sequences are just ridiculous. So there's there's like one, one or two shots when there is no gravity that do look really good. Like, there is a few, fair few people floating, which I'm assuming is just model work with, like, some kind of overlay. But, yeah, when people are moving and walking around, it's just... Yeah. And then when the platoon is sent out into space... The Marines. Ugh... Well, it's interesting because as on a zero-gravity space station, this is obviously just something they missed in the edit or in the planning of the shots. So there's zero gravity, 
and these airlocks are open. So as the, the army from the space station are walking out of the tunnels, they're just walking normally. It's like, I'm sorry. I thought there was zero gravity at this point. And they're just like, plop, 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 plop. Well, also, along. there's like people hanging off of ladders and they're hanging downwards, which would not be a thing if there was no gravity. Your feet wouldn't be pointing towards the floor. Yeah, I mean, just, well, yes and no. Because if you have the core strength, you can, with your, you could. Sure, that's not what's happening. I couldn't. I have great forearm strength with no core strength, so... <laughs> Yeah, so there's a space battle. Pew, 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 pew. Lots of pew, pews on this one. Later, laser guns don't kick back. Because if you get hit by the laser, you fly forever. But if you shoot a laser, you don't move. Yeah, there would be no kick from a laser gun. But at the same Are you time, sure? yeah, I think so. But it's it's interesting because in Q's lab, they do the exploding ball and they do the hunched over hobo guy who's who's in the poncho and the sombrero. He, they open he opens up to a machine gun and then the next weapon's a fucking laser. Like that's a pretty big leap from like a, an exploding ball or grenade situation to a laser gun. But it just melts the mannequin's face. Right. So why does it kill everybody instantly? Like I, I, I guess it would be like a focused like heat burst kind of would probably just burn a hole through you like maybe like a little I don't burst know if it, I don't know if it's killing people immediately because you kind of hear, hear them screaming as they like fly through well, space if, that brings me to another point sound does not travel in space so pew 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 and people to, screaming but, you would not hear but they have to because it would make for a really boring film there's a ton of places in the movies from Bond that you don't hear a thing true but make it realistic i feel like it works in gravity with sandra bullock but it would probably just be boring in a bond film it'd be like watching nascar if all the cars were hybrids but the thing is (laughs) that scene isn't 10 minutes long like just make it a little quieter yeah maybe maybe the screaming because it could be over mics but a laser you wouldn't see it you wouldn't see a laser anyways because lasers are invisible unless there's like a smoke screen or fog or something in front of them do the lasers also have mics uh well no i don't know it's just some stuff i don't know when my friend had laser eye surgery i didn't hear pew pew (laughs) (laughs) that would be fucking amazing though not if you're the person in the damn chair (laughs) pew pew what the fuck is happening no mention of alan parsons project either Uh, no gravity gets turned back on the good guys escape back to the ship um and at this point jaws is actively helping bond yeah and drax is playing a, a really good dr evil runs to his escape pod yeah which is like right out of the awesome powers is right out of this film there's a lot of them though and the thing is he runs better than dr evil does because the dr evil run is just amazing. oh yeah 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 <laughs> so he's like prancing away almost yeah. Yeah, which is great uh he's wearing the same jacket though very like yeah blowfeld with drax's jacket almost yeah like that collar Bond and Drax are facing off, and uh, Drax manages to get his hands on a gun. And that's where he says, it's a, oh, it's, it'll be a pleasure of putting you out of my misery. Oh, is that where it is? Yeah. Oh, okay, my mistake. No, it's okay. But then well, Bond so. shoots him with a dart and then ejects him into outer space. Yeah, that's a good way to get him gone. And it's a really nice um, method of using the dart gun, too. Yep. Because like, the dart gun is like, why did they? Because they only used it once in the beginning, and then like, oh, once at the end. This is good. It was good. But the globes are out, so they've got, they did launch some of those nerve gas globes. Yeah, the poison snow globes are on their way to Earth, yeah. The station's ripping apart. Which all looked really good, I thought. Considering the year of the film and everything, all that model stuff was really, really great. Yeah, I just got back to that everything always gets so destroyed when Bond is involved. I just thought it was getting really destroyed when the Americans are leaving. Like, oh, we fucked everything up. Let's get out of here. (laughs) So Bond realizes that they can 
jump onto Moonraker 5 to destroy the globes. But the problem is he and Goodhead make it to the Moonraker, but they can't get it undocked. It's jammed. Meanwhile, Dolly and Jaws are doing like John and Yoko where they're like running and the arms open. It's actually a sweet moment that like he's looking for her and she's actually still alive. Yeah. Which is good. I actually like at this point, I'm like, I kind of like Jaws. I like Jaws anytime he's not being a fucking cartoon. Yeah. Like I'm fine with like he, obviously the character is a cartoon. You couldn't do that. Like the man's sure. jaw muscles could never be as strong as required for the unless they were razor sharp. But like, it's not a thing. Imagine biting your cheek with those teeth. Ugh. Um. So he finds Dolly and then finds Bollinger, and they're gonna <laughs> go down with class. They're like, you know what? Ship's going down. Let's go down with the ship. Here's a glass of champagne, and Jaws can talk. Yeah. Jaws says, I can't remember what, he says something, but he can talk. Yeah. This is the first time we hear that. And at the same time, I'm like, how did he romance Dolly? Like, how did that happen if he can't talk? He just made eyes at her? No, he can converse. Yeah. Do you think when we drink our Bollinger, we should be, like, burn a building down or something? That's not a bad idea. Maybe our little shadow back. I bet he, like, quoted Robert Frost to her. He's probably, like, very well read. Maybe. I mean, he probably has a lot of spare time on his hands because he is, like, sort of alienated by the rest of society. So he could be, like, just sort of reading poetry. Or... We've, like, created a whole backstory for Jaws. That's how we created Eric Clapton. What? Eric Clapton was, like, was uh, really not looked at with a lot of regard because he was his mother had him out of wedlock. So he was treated like shit by his peers because hmm. he didn't have a dad. So he Something basically good came out of that. So he's locked in his bedroom, basically. Uh, he well, didn't do much, so he just played guitar all the time. Fair, and I mean, amazing music came from Clapton. Um, didn't have an easy life for a lot of it. He had some pretty serious drug problems. Yep. Anyway, this is about Jaws. Next week on another Eric Clapton podcast, <laughs> <laughs> Richard Keel plays guitar solos. <laughs> <laughs> With his teeth. Yeah. Well, Hendrix did. Why not? <laughs> um, Bond requests Jaws help. So he ruins Jaws' sweet moment with his girlfriend and asks Jaws to help release this spacecraft. And he does. And then Bond says to Goodhead, don't worry, don't worry, he'll make it. Then the station explodes about half a second later. But he's like, don't worry, they'll make it. They're only like 100 miles from Earth. Yeah. You're like, what? It's not, it's and not the, like 100 miles from shore, which is still really far to swim, which we've seen Jaws do already. And the synopsis claims that they were in an escape pod. I don't feel like they were in an escape pod. We don't see what happened, but they do say, like when you're going back to the control room, they do say, oh, we've just got like a track on a very tall man and a very small or very blonde, short very blonde short woman. blonde woman like so, that's really good fucking radar we know that they're they're alive <laughs> the but radar can pick out hair color at no point yeah <laughs> at no point did they like they say how they escaped yeah. that's just i, I think know. i think the synopsis is sort of just putting it together where i was like i think that bit of the space station just got severed off it's yeah like, we don't know why would you put an escape pod right on a dock Anyways, whatever. doesn't matter. So Bond and Goodhead explode globe number one, globe number two, and then James Bond starts whining that he's hot as Goodhead is trying to pilot a spaceship that's skipping off the Earth's atmosphere. Yeah. And ah. she actually looks a little bit sweaty. Like she's like, He does. He's sweating. Well, they both do Yeah. at the end of it. And I'm like, she's probably not worked up from overacting, that's for sure. <laughs> 
Um, Bond ends up switching the laser to manual. He explodes the third globe. Yeah, he Luke Skywalker's that shit. He shoots the uh, shoots the lasers down the Death Star's uh, exhaust port just in time. It's so rigid. this final scene that we have. Star Wars. This final scene like that Nazi we, Star Wars. <laughs> this final scene that we have, where the control center is like, this is so exciting. Like we've you know saved the world. We're going to patch that to the White House in Buckingham Palace. So we're just waiting for the video feed. First of all, the video feed turns on where they are, which is not at the controls. No, not So that's close. just weird. They're in the cargo hold of the spaceship. And second of all, everyone's shocked and M is like, oh, 007. 007. You've been through this about seven times yeah he they have been and q knows this because he's like oh he's attempting yeah, what is he doing sir. i believe he's attempting re-entry i yeah. mean q good one yeah yeah very funny q q's funny q knows what's happening but really like they should have been like don't, don't no audio visual yeah, just yeah. thank him when he lands I'm like hello uh, mission control did you see the last film yeah because this is exactly how it's going to go down he is in a spaceship with a woman what do you think they're doing yeah but I do like I did really love that Goodhead, Doctor Goodhead, is coming on to him more often than he's coming on to her. Like he's being thrown off, I think, by how she, strong a character she is, or how like not into anything she is. <laughs> I disagree with you. I even have like uh, she's very calm under pressure. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. But to me, it's just like it's just there's, she's. I do have in my notes that she's basically just lobbing the lines to him when I didn't when they feel meet in way. when they meet in Venice. I don't think like, that her acting is any worse than his acting, and yeah. I didn't mind her acting. I'm not like trying to put uh, Roger Moore down for his acting skills. I actually didn't mind it. Yeah, I think I think part of it too. Like, have you ever listened to our podcast? Mm, yes, every episode. Sometimes have I you feel ever like listened I'm, to our podcast. Well, in edits. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm being very dramatic and enthusiastic, and then I re-listen, and I'm like, we just drone on <laughs> There's no, like, energy behind our voices. So I think sometimes, like, when I see stuff like that, I don't feel like it's anything to do with her acting. I think she's just very calm. Hmm. She's calm. Calm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think we should disagree on that one, or I think we will disagree on that one. I That's do, all right. But I don't really feel like he was bringing it either. No. Because he's probably there going, what the fuck am I doing here? I just I was I supposed have, to be doing for your eyes only or whatever and then I got wrapped into this. I have to say I didn't want to like this movie, but I did. Like there's parts where I'm just shaking my head cuz it's so ridiculous, but I still enjoyed it and I think of any of the more movies up to date, if you ask me which one I would rewatch, I would probably rewatch this one. Yeah, I mean for me, I think the first uh, the first three quarters of it is pretty good. Well, it, it is interesting because Bond films always fall apart in the last quarter of it yeah. or the last third. Look at Spectre that we just watched and then you don't remember anything it's about. So it kind of lost the last quarter of it there as well. But yeah, this film is no different from any other. It just kind of falls apart towards the end. Um, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them. I do feel like this is two films, like a feature length film and then a short film that sort of finishes it because it does go on for ever it does we actually ended up watching it in three parts yeah. i mean admittedly we started it pretty well late for us yeah we have a lot of a lot of stuff on the go but this this week's but um yeah i don't know it's I, I do like it i do enjoy it it is somehow i think it's somehow better than what it should be 
because like a Bond film where he goes into space should just be crap. But for me, when I'm watching the space sequences, I'm like, all right, well, the effects are all really good, except for the lasers and the animation on the lasers is crap and the sound effects is shit. But the models and the models and the miniatures and all the effects there and all the in in station stuff actually looks fantastic. If you had to rate this movie one out of five Moonrakers. It's pretty low. Is it one Moonraker? No, no. It's probably like, it's probably halfway. I had to give it like a, like a two and a half Moonrakers. I think I give it three and a half. Really? Yeah. It's almost four. I know, but not quite. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll say a three. We'll say three because it's it is fun. I wouldn't have a problem going back and watching it again. We did watch it the first time, and you're like, oh, I actually really like that one. Um, I don't remember that. Yeah, it is. It is fun. And it is ridiculous and has a lot of really great Bond moments in it. But then it has some... Bond moments? Bond moments. And then it has like some pure crap in it as well. Like the double take pigeon and that kind of thing. There's definitely pure crap. But again, like if there's some stuff, I think part of it is a strong female character that usually falls apart at some point in a Bond movie. Like they can start off strong. I think there's only really Kissy Suzuki that we see not completely fall apart at the end yeah or towards the end well even a key she just happened to die right a key was also a strong character just because she she was too cuddly (laughs) (laughs) she um also slept with her mouth open which we shouldn't do if we can help it but i do think that this character was strong from beginning to end and i think that's probably part of why i know that's probably part of why i like the movie a lot because i don't feel like bond needs to be putting down women and saving them like a Bond movie can be really good with him having a counterpart that's as strong as him. It does not destroy his masculinity that a woman can be as strong as he is. And I think that in a lot of movies, that's why they make the woman, the women look weak or sort of or they give her peter a shit out name towards the as end. Well, give her a shit name. I think in, in their mind, if she's as strong character as he is, it's going to take away from his masculinity. And it doesn't. It doesn't. His masculinity should be strong enough to survive an equal counterpart. Just for the listeners out there, your masculinity should be able to survive an equal counterpart as well. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, it's... This... A woman being strong does not take away from a man being it does strong. Definitely not. Is there a lot of women villains in Bond? No. That's something else they should bring. Well, wait till we get to uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. But I feel like it's something no. that should happen... Sorry. Wait till we get to The World Is Not Enough. Sophie Marceau. I feel like it's something that should happen more regularly. Like, not just men can be evil. Yeah, Sophie Marceau does a really great villainess. Am I going to root for her? I think so, yeah, probably. Yeah. She's um she's kidnapped when she's younger and then basically uh, turns her kidnapper. Like, sort of, her kidnapper falls in love with her, basically, and she uses that against... It's like a reverse Stockholm syndrome. <clears throat> yeah, basically. And he falls in love with her and she uses him. And then she sort of seduces Bond and sort of uses him as well. I know I make fun of Bond and complain about a lot of things when we watch these movies. And I do think my points are generally valid. Yeah, oh, for sure. But But, it's it's a product of the times, And I just, I do want to point out that I do like Bond as a character. I think the idea of him is really good. And I know a lot of the movies we're watching are older movies. Like we just started watching Faulty Towers and we're laughing at stuff and then also being like, oh wow, there's a lot of problematic stuff in these shows. But not that it makes it okay, but there was a time where stuff like that was acceptable. It should never have been and it should not be. 
But when I watch Bond movies, what I look at is with the lens of living in 2020. So when I look at it, I think all these things are really problematic and this is why. And they were problematic back then, but we were looking at it through a different lens. So it was more acceptable. I like Bond as a character, but I think we would see him a lot better or I would appreciate him a lot more again with equal counterparts. Well, that's probably why it's easier to watch in the Craig era, because the Craig era really started to make big strides towards, you know, quality or, or sort of gender gender appropriateness. Yeah. Like, there's not too many times where he just, like, sleeps with somebody for the hell of it or whatever. Like, it's, like, um, Eva Green's character in Casino Royale, like, she was a really great character, and she had her own backstory and she had her own dialogue that wasn't just playing off him it was like a whole character developed um camille in quantum of solace she was also an agent herself and they never slept together in that film Mm -hmm. that said you also had strawberry fields in that film who he basically is like hey get your kid off and she's instantly naked and down you know down with it so but it's not what i thought you were gonna say there no um and you know uh judy dench was pretty much the main bond girls of skyfall and judy dench always holds her own Um, oh judy dench does not take shit no and then of course inspector you've got um you've got madeline swan who's a fucking terrible name but she's a strong female character too and holds her own to the end she's not there you know fighting the good fight quite as much as uh you know lois trials was in moonraker but she you know knew how to knew how to do self-defense knew how to work a gun you know she she knew what she was doing is there any talk of literally remaking some of these movies because obviously the bond franchise needs to take different directions like there's been talk of um, making like an old-timey bond film right like going back to the past and making a film set in the past sadly i don't think that'll ever happen but i think it should i think it should be remade with a modern twist like i would love to see goldfinger with again some of the problematic parts taken out or a different spin put on them so sort of a more again being done through a more modern lens yeah I don't think they're going to remake anything. They'll revisit some characters. Like there's the, you know, Blofeld comes up in Spectre and he comes up in No Time to Die, of course. But I don't think they're going to revisit any specific plot lines. And No Time to Die, there's speculation that Rami Malek might be Dr. No. But again, they're not going to, they're not going to redo Dr. No. Hmm. I don't think. I would love to see that. Yeah. But yeah, I actually know I wouldn't because I really love Dr. No. Yeah. I think the films should just be left where they are. Yeah. I guess there's something to be said about that as well. Especially like if you're going to do it, if you're going to, if you're going to redo any films, you could probably go back and do some of Roger's weaker ones. Yeah. But maybe the first couple shouldn't be done. Mm -hmm. Well, not like Connery's, you should just leave where they are. Roger's, I don't know. Like Roger's films are classic, but at the same time, they're like a weird kind of classic that don't stand. They're not quite old enough. I, I personally don't feel they stand up to Connery's. Yeah. Um, if you're going to redo Man with a Golden Gun, I can see that. I No, doing it better, though, I can see it. Um, but I wouldn't think you should ever touch Live and Let Die. Yeah. But then again, would you want to redo Spy Love Me? I wouldn't say so. Yeah, I guess it's a whole can of worms. But again, there's so many people that are like diehard Roger fans that I'm like, Ugh, I like Raj, but I don't quite put the value behind him that you do. So what did you think of uh, Jaws in this outing? I think we've touched on that. Like, I did like him at the end of the film. I'm glad he found love. But I don't like him being cartoonish. I think they brought him back on too early in the film. Yeah. If they were going to do it, it should have been a surprise. Like, towards the middle, like, oh my god, Jaws is back. 
Well, he has sort of had this like tendency to loom, you know, sort of like when he showed up in the closet of the train. I think his introduction should have been similar to that. Mm. Like his introduction to the characters was like when he's wearing that clown costume. But again, the clown, the cartooniness of it, you're like, Ugh. yeah, you should have just been there. Clowns. Um, so, yeah, but I, I did. I didn't mind him coming back, but they could have scaled back some of that stuff. Yeah. Drax was an okay villain. I did really appreciate that he actually said he was trying to give Bond like a comical death. Yeah. Um, that he's just like, this is why I'm being so ridiculous about it. I just want to have some fun. Yeah. While you die. Well, Drax seems like a very small scale person until you really get the bigger picture. And then you're like, wow, no, he's not small time at all. No, he's trying to eradicate the entire world. Yeah. But he doesn't come across as being like a really big picture guy early no. on just there with his cucumber sandwiches you're like oh that's quaint <laughs> yeah i mean he was okay um i don't think he was a strong so his mental capacity like his intelligence was really strong i think but his physical capacity really wasn't there yeah there's not too many times when they do both really mm. like telling sabalas is blofeld and on her majesty's secret service he was really kind of there largo although largo is very small scale yeah they usually do one or the other and there's not too many crossovers Fair, because that might be too much, because Bond has both. True. So they're trying to make the the villains not quite as equal. Yeah. Which they should always just do an equal Bond, I think. It's more interesting. Yeah, I think so. And you liked um, Holly Goodhead? I did. I know you didn't like her acting. I didn't have a problem with it. I love that she was a strong character. Yeah, I mean, the fact that she was involved and she was, you know, she was there right to the end. I really enjoyed all of that. I just find that she was really kind of downplayed in her delivery. Yeah. But maybe that's what they're going for. Maybe she's, maybe she was the equal to Bond in this one she's because just very he, in control. He never really loses his shit in this either. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. No, I did. I against my better judgment, I like this movie. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Like it's like I like it too, but you're like, ah, it's, it's one of those it like, how do you put your finger on it? Kind I guess of thing. this is really for me a guilty pleasure movie where I'd watch it, but like. With a disclaimer that I know it's not that great. I know there's really terrible parts, but I do enjoy watching it. So if you're going to introduce a Bond fan or a non-Bond fan to the Bond, you wouldn't start with this one. No. <laughs> We'd start with a non, like an absolutely non-Bond fan who'd never watched a Bond movie. I'd probably go to Craig, depending yeah, on their uh, age, but uh, I'd probably Casino go to Royal. Craig. Um, but, I mean, I feel really strongly about Dr. No and... Um, yeah, there's there is something to be said to starting somebody off from the start. Yeah, if they have an open mind, or if they're, a f- yeah, I guess you couldn't really be a film buff and not see Bond. But I think if you get an open mind and you are a fan of this cinema, you could say, hey, let's watch Doctor No. It's made in '62. The effects are going to be dated, but just get out of your head the about attitudes it. Attitudes are going to be dated. Yeah, I, I just feel like that movie. Attitudes, well. <laughs> I feel like that movie, there's just parts I can watch over and over and I'd be okay with it. Like, I think about parts of that movie sometimes. Um, Mango Tree plays in my head pretty regularly. <laughs> like, stuff has stuck stuck with me, whereas others is just, well, you know, I just immediately forget after I watch yeah. them. Yeah, Dr. No is definitely a very special film. I don't think people rate it as high as they should. I rate it highly. Yeah, well, you're not people, so. It's <laughs> not nice. Anyways, on that note... <laughs> <clears throat> We're going to call it a night. Yep. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Um, we will do an interview with you next week. Is that what's happening? Do you want to do the interrogation room? Yeah, yeah. We might as well keep going on okay. that. Okay. All right. So next week will be an interview with me. You will learn all my dark, dirty secrets. <clears throat> I'd rather not. 
<laughs> Next week will be an interview with me. You will learn nothing about me. I have nothing to hide. There's nothing interesting going on in my life. But I will talk about stuff, like how many pairs of shoes I own. I'm in your Four. life. Four. So it can't be that interesting. Hmm. I'm pretty low-key. You are. To a fault. But you're not not interesting. You're not interesting interesting. <laughs> you're not, <laughs> not interesting. Anyways, bye. Good night. Well, it's certainly more enjoyable than my average day. Reading philosophy, avoiding gang rape in the washrooms. Though it's less of a problem these days. Maybe I'm losing my sex appeal. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Instagram at Another James Bond Podcast. And you can contact us at anotherjbpod at gmail.com. Moon River, wider than a mile. I'm crossing you in style someday. Old maker, you heartbreaker, wherever. Such a lot of world to see We're after the same rainbows And waiting round the bend My huckleberry friend Whoa!